Hi, I'm Jared Ray. You're listening to Suspending Disbelief, Episode 2, where me and my friend Serva dive into Jungian concepts around dream work, shadow work, all sorts of stuff. Serva has her own podcast called Identity. She also is a depth coach. You can find all of her information through her Instagram. It's Serva Coaching, S-E-R-V-A Coaching on Instagram. Let's dive in. Is that what it was called? Yes, it is identity. Awesome. And uh, so um, I'm just going to, I'm going to just ask you a question because I want to know more about your schooling, like how you, why you chose to go to school. Are you graduating or what's? <laughs> no. So I started the podcast as a way to kind of overcome being shy. Mm. I was always like someone who had a lot to say, but I had a hard time communicating or like finding words to say what I wanted. And the only way to combat is, is a, a fear is to really do the, the thing that you're afraid of. So I started, um, it was 2020. And I just decided I had to do something big. You know, I was afraid of the camera. I was afraid of speaking. So I had to do one or the other. It's either like you're going to make a YouTube channel or you're going to start a podcast. And so I loved having deep conversations with people everywhere. I went parties. I was always the girl in the corner who had like, who was asking some specific person a million questions because I would find them so fascinating. You know, I, I observe people. Um, I love stories. I love hearing what someone has to say and like what they've been through. So it made sense to start a podcast and start interviewing people and asking questions, you know, like what, how did your, transformation begin where were you who are you who were you who are you now like the whole thing yeah so I started the podcast and then I was actually in sales at the time I was doing like uh I was working for an eyewear brand Mm -hmm. uh, and I considered myself a pretty good salesperson you know I was really good at selling (laughs) it's funny because like you're shy but then you're a salesperson yeah that is funny I'm like not shy and I'm terrible at sales (laughs) yeah it makes no sense I always tell people I'm like a walking contradiction because nothing makes sense yeah me too (laughs) me too actually I'm a I'm literally a paradox (laughs) there you go um so yeah I started the podcast and then I don't know I was living with roommates and my roommate goes I really want to start a YouTube channel. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I don't know. I wasn't fulfilled at work anymore. Things were, I kept having like visitors. Like people would come in and talk to me and be like, you should be doing something better with your life. And you know, the whole spiel, like you should be doing more, like Mm. more, something more meaningful. And I was always confused because my, I, my idea was that I wanted to just work up this ladder. I wanted to be a vendor again. And I wanted to have this very sexy, cool career in eyewear where I was like, you know, a rep going, traveling. That was really the goal. Mm. And I don't know what happened. Like one day I just realized like I'm knocking on a door that just does not want to open. No matter how hard I worked, no matter where I was, I was just not getting the promotions. I was not getting the income. I was not getting the recognition and I had it pretty easy. I'm not going to lie. Um, but there was just, it was just not flowing. 
And every time I was there, someone would tell me, read this book, do this. And I'm like, man, I'm having all these cool conversations, but I'm not really doing anything beyond it. You know, everyone would just be like, oh, you have so much potential. You could be doing so much. But I'm like, where do I begin? What do I even do? Yeah. What is this thing that I'm supposed to be doing? So, yeah, I decided to leave Los Angeles. I moved back home. Where's home? Uh, which is in Orange County. Okay. <laughs> yeah, back with my parents. And I just took time off to really find the right path. And so I started doing this thing that I did as a kid. Anytime I was lost or confused, I would just ask out loud to something. You know, I was, I was always a religious kid. I was very spiritual. Um, you know, I was raised Muslim. And then I kind of, like, my parents were never religious, but I was. Hmm. Very oddly. Like, I was always very connected. And I loved playing in nature. And I was always talking to something. <laughs> so I just said, I don't really know the way. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. But everything I'm trying isn't working. So maybe... What you can do is you can start showing me by bringing in the people to guide me. And I was like so specific. That's exactly how I said it. I said, bring the people in to show me the way because I don't know anymore. Mm. And um, long story short, I was introduced to people. I actually, a friend of mine introduced me to a depth coach who was also a psychotherapist. And we started talking. I said, what's depth coaching? I had no idea who Carl Jung was. I didn't really care, to be honest, uh, because I have an undergrad in psychology. I deviated. I like left psychology because in my eyes, it was always like, if you need a shrink, then you know, what's the point of being a therapist? If a therapist needs a shrink, like, what's the point? That's what I was thinking, because back then you think like that. You're like, someone should have it together. Yeah. But obviously that's transitioned, you know, the shrink should always have a shrink because then they would be a better shrink, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I really just like met this guy and he started telling me about Carl Jung and I realized, oh my God, this is, I, there was so much resonance. There was so much synchronicity, even reading like Jung's um, story as a kid, how he was doing active imagination and all of these things. I was like, wait, that's me. Yeah. I do these things I just didn't know what it was called or um you know the synchronicity all like everything just resonated what were you re were you did you start by reading his like memories dreams reflections or were no. you I actually have a book that a friend gave me and I'm going to have to give it to you later because I don't know the exact name but it was um an introduction to depth to um, depth psychology and it, uh -huh. it had like it's a bigger book lots of pictures and kind of his background um it wasn't a very dense book but uh -huh. I have to give you the name later yeah cool <laughs> I'll send you a photo of it okay but yeah I it really resonated and I said okay um I want to be a depth coach and he's like okay here's a program so I he gave me a program like with creative minds and he's like you can do this and then he's like, by the way, there's a Jungian psychology school. And I was thinking like, I wanted to be a marriage and family therapist, but somehow that just didn't feel good. <laughs> Being a therapist didn't hit the way, it just didn't resonate. Even though I was really good at helping people, I was always advising. I was a human design reader. I was really good at reading charts, astrology. I would just pick it up and just kind of flow. Very intuitive by nature, had no idea like, that um 
you know, I just didn't understand the whole therapy route. I didn't like it. Even when I was younger, like in, I went to UCI and so I could have pursued being a marriage and family therapist, but it just didn't feel right. And so when I did apply to a program, I actually didn't get in, which I'm very grateful. Um, but he sent me this, like, he's like, Hey, here's this coaching program. And here's this young psychology school. And I looked at all of their programs. And the one that really resonated was this Jungian psychology and archetypal studies. And the reason why it resonated was because I love stories. You know, I mean, they, they study film, movies. There's so many things in that. And I feel like as someone who doesn't really have a niche, I'm interested in so many things. And I love like creative writing and um, archetypes and the complexity of characters and all of that, it just really hit home. Mm. Like, this is it. This is where I'm supposed to be. And when I applied, it was such a fast, like it happened so fast. I grad, I finished this coaching thing and then I was slammed right into the program. I didn't probably need to do the coaching thing at all. Cause I, you know, I could have just done it with the school that I'm in right now, but it all happened really fast. And yeah, it's been quite a journey, but I'm here. <laughs> how many, uh, how long have you been at the school now? It's going to be about a year. Okay, cool. Yeah, Very cool. My second year. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. I resonate with your resonating with young, like when I first started reading it, cause I, I, uh, kind of a similar story. I like, I hit, um, what I call rock bottom, like where I was just like, what am I doing? Like, what, what is this? Like, I, I sort of like woke up and I was in New York city and I was like, I don't want to be here. Like, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm doing. Cause I, I had been studying audio engineering or I, sorry, I studied it and I had been working in the music industry for the last 10 years. And I was like, I'm a music producer. I'm like, um, I was learning to fix pianos. So I was like going into studios, fixing pianos and vintage pianos and doing all this stuff that I was really good at, but it like, I felt purposeless still. Like it, it was like, now I would describe it as like, it wasn't actually feeding my soul. It was like feeding, um, it was like, I was making ends meet with like a skill set that I had. Um, and uh, so anyways, I got sober too. And I was, I got sober with the 12 steps and I got way interested in them. Cause I was like, these are fucking interesting. They're like, they're essentially analytical, they're like psychotherapy. Um, and so then I got into like the foundation or like the founders. And I found out like one of them, like Jung was his psychiatrist and I was like who's this young guy that like influenced a huge part of AA um and so then I was like okay I gotta get into him and so I googled like local Jungian therapists and I found like a gold mine like a jackpot therapist um so similar situation where I um started working with a depth psychologist and he um and from there I, I started reading like he recommended uh his semi-autobiography and then his uh man and his symbols the five essays yes i read that one yeah and it stirred up my inner world so hardcore i was like i would wake up in the middle of the night and like i would be like hallucinating my dreams outside of me and like <laughs> i like i've never had that experience before right like i've i'm very extroverted um oh and by the way that whole time i've been studying um, typology and like cognitive function, but I didn't really realize until I got 
deeper into Jung that he was the originator of type. Um, and that was really exciting for me because I was like, not only that, but all of these other things I had been studying mm-hmm. on my own, like everything was crossing through Jung, like everything that I was interested in. I was like, holy shit, this dude is like the apex of all of my interests. You know, it's mind blowing that Jung had such an impact on our world, you know, as far as psychology, as far as like, even like, you know, in the spiritual community, you hear shadow work, you you hear all this stuff, individuation, but no one mentions young. I know. <laughs> it's so funny. Because it kind of pisses me off. <laughs> I know. It's really just like, wait, you guys are doing this shadow stuff, you know, own your shadow. And nobody brings up that it was Carl Jung. It does piss me off too. Um, especially like reading the more, like how much went into creating or understanding these concepts like Jung really experimented on himself he did all the work on himself which is really mind-blowing yeah he almost lost his mind doing it too yes, yes. <laughs> yeah well I'm reading the black book right now and it's like holy shit this dude is like um he's playing a, a dangerous game oh he was you know he's very fascinating for me because he has a trickster vibe you know, his archetype of the trickster really helps him dance with duality, come in and come out. He's able to kind of make you believe he's really in it. And then he pulls right back and he's like, oh, no, it was it was fine. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, but then he's also dueling with himself where he's like, this is all bullshit, you know? And then he's like, no, 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 it's not. And, uh, <laughs> and it's that I resonate so much with that. Mm-hmm. Like the trickster, the jester, like that energy. Mm-hmm. um flows through me and my family I think a little bit I've encountered it in many different ways and I, I recognize that in him too where I mean and it's not just that he's got so many different playing parts um and I resonate with that for sure um like 50 different voices in my head and like what I'm working with with my therapist like I just on Monday I had a dream of uh like I met my a younger brother like a dream figure that mm-hmm. was I had like my, the, my father in the dream had isolated him into a uh, homeless shelter. Mm. And I went to the homeless shelter and he was like, everyone around him was like a drug addict and like disintegrating. And like, he was like this healthy young man who was mm. just like looking at me. He had like dirt on his face, but he was like strong. And mm. I was like, you don't belong here, you know? Like, and mm. so I was like, I'm taking you home. And I'm going to redistribute the votes so that you get a vote. Like, that's what I said in the dream. Super weird. But um, so then, then I'm working with active imagination of like inviting this part of me back home. Yes. And then inviting it to use its vote. And so I was like, what do you want to use your vote for? You know, like mm-hmm. all of these different parts of me get votes, which is really interesting because to get sober, I had to kind of take away some of the votes from some people because a lot like i've got this surfer jared who's like you oh, know fuck it man it doesn't matter like let's smoke weed and fuck off um and i'm like i get your energy and it's fun but you don't get any votes right now you know like i'm sorry but we tried that for 10 years it doesn't it it didn't get us anywhere um but then there's i'm going through this process of like because this part of me i threw away the baby with the bathwater um with addiction and with like, and I had a conversation with this part of me and it was like, um, yeah, you lump me into egotism and like, um, self-centeredness. Yeah. Um, 
And really what it is, is it's like this masculinity, which is interesting. That is like, it wants dominance and like power. Um, and for me to like hide from that, it possesses me, you know, it like, it sneaks it. Like when it's in the underworld, it like, it gains a lot of power. Um, Anything in the underworld has autonomy. Yeah. We don't have direct contact and we don't have access. Um, they come when they want, they leave when they want. It's kind of like really interesting because you can be possessed by an archetype. And you know, that whole archetypal structure, every the concept of archetypes and the way that it plays out in humans um, and us, it's so mind-blowing because you could easily classify someone, let's just say who's dancing with many uh, archetypes as someone who has personality disorder right? because they're constantly possessed by different, you know, archetypes or even that scene. I don't know if you've seen Split, but, you know, there's a scene where they're sitting in chairs and the different characters come out and they take like, you know, the, they take, they take over the body. Mm. So it's really quite fascinating to understand like archetypes and how they play out and how they kind of like take control you know and um the way that they have autonomy my what i've learned is um if you can somehow work with it but not listen to it because i know my professor i personally have not encountered an archetype yet who has done me dirty yeah i haven't and i'm gonna and i don't know why that is I'm trying to understand why that hasn't happened, but mostly the archetypes in my life that have kind of shown up, the ones that I'm aware of that have like identified themselves with a specific image, they've been pretty much like giving me courage Hmm. to move forward, strength. And there's times where I feel like I'm my, I want to like, you know, get really small. And then this, like this archetype of this lion comes in and goes, no, we're going to get bigger. Mm. <laughs> and but it's um really fascinating archetypes it's i'm curious thing. like you talking about you have me spinning in my mind talking about like archetypes that have done me dirty because i i typically my experience with archetype is that they don't have morals or something right like mm-hmm. they're not necessarily they don't have a moral compass they they have a very very specific job and they mm-hmm. carry that out right like yeah. um and so um, I feel like I it just got me thinking like what has possessed me or like, what have I encompassed that has brought me in like different mm-hmm. directions and stuff like that. Um, I'd be, I, I'd be curious to hear more about the, the trickster because like, I call him the jester, the jester. I, and, and I think that they're probably the same archetype. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, there's he keeps me up at night mm-hmm. um so in a sense that kind of does me dirty but at the same time it's like this ego part of me that really wants sleep and it's like i'm not even going to get out of bed because i'm so stubborn you know yeah. but it's like no it wants and so like doing work with him like i see myself like dancing around my house like way over the top way eccentric way like uh in the middle of the night right like making loud noises and like and I live in an apartment complex but keeping that bottled in I think gives me um like this I like I get jittery like I get restless legs um and all this stuff so it's interesting because I think that same archetype has affected my great-grandfather my grandfather my dad and me um Mm -hmm. 
where he it lives through generations and that we all have identified it as restless leg syndrome um mm. which is super interesting but i also have not figured out how to appease these archetypes that archetype specifically yeah mm-hmm. um well if you bring it into the light the theory is like the more awareness and the more you bring it something from the darkness into the light it loses power over us right um i mean that's kind of like how young treated the anima in memories dreams and reflection like he was dancing with her for a little bit you know he he was entertaining her and then there's a part in the book where he goes i learned how to communicate because he used the anima as like the mouthpiece of the unconscious so he was kind of using her to interpretate or kind of like you know she's a translator yeah translator exactly but then he started translating it himself and i think he did that out of fear because you know he had a he has a fear of the feminine i would say <laughs> he likes to keep them at bay well it's the chaos like it's the uh um i have that same thing where like i'm having a conversation with my partner just like literally last night and this morning where i'm because i have dismissed the inconsistent in my life mm-hmm. it, it has gained power over my perspective of everything so i'm constantly um inconsistent in my perspective mm-hmm. um and so i'm like i need to bring that inconsistency into my life and to love it um because if i hate it 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 fights back um but that inconsistency i it like when i say inconsistency it's like it really is just like um it's almost like this polyamory versus monogamy or like this um this I see it as like an ability to chase um, my projection of anima in the outer world mm-hmm. um, versus like cutting away the external world and focusing on it inwardly. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember where I was going with this, but essentially I, I, I think I share a fear of um, okay. dancing with my soul essentially mm-hmm. because of the real effects that it has on this like concrete world that mm. the masculine rational mind has been building for me if you will and mm. that the soul is like the antithesis to that it wants to like burn it down almost um and so there's mm. just like this intense battle between those two things um but like you're saying if i like dismiss this one and i'm unconscious of it um it becomes autonomous and it really does what it wants and it it like lights fires unconsciously. And then I'm like this crazy person. Um, well, they take over. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrifying. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I'm like working on, it's always this unfolding of becoming more and more conscious and it's, it r- continues to dismantle the, like the stability in, in life. It's kind of frustrating in a sense. It's like this constant, destruction but if you do it right it's not too big of a destruction it can be very it's liberating so if you do it right and if you are kind of dancing with them not necessarily trying to own or upstage them just merely entertain it not too close not too far it's like bringing this equilibrium back right um the way that i've experienced like my own shadow work and just like my whole individuation journey is 
when I hit rock bottom, it was intense because you are dismantling, you know, your old beliefs. Every time like a, a shadow comes up or a narrative comes up, it really is heavy and it's really exhausting, mentally straining to, to um, rewire. But when you surrender to certain things, like for example, we're so accustomed to willing our way through things. We're so accustomed to let me reprogram my brain right now. Mm -hmm. And like everything has to be so fast. And it's like, actually the brain needs time. So just you reading a piece of, you know, work and kind of being open, dancing with that idea in your head just for a while, like a couple, like I would say 10 minutes a day, like reading something that really challenges your perspective and then playing with that in your head a few days, like for, you know, a day or two, it kind of releases a little bit of a hold on you. You know, if you, let's just say you have a specific narrative or some kind of belief, but when you're like hacking away at it and you're going really hard at your own self and because healing, I mean, according to Jung, like if we think really young and what is healing, right? It's self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. Becoming so, whole. Yeah. And, but I think sometimes along the journey, and I'm a culprit of this because at the beginning I kept thinking I'm broken. How do I fix it? How do I fix this? What do I do? Like, how can I make my life easier? Um, my like, I can't tell you how much my frequency, just my aura, my overall being has changed, transitioning from fix it to just acceptance mm-hmm. and surrender. It has, re- because once you give in to that thing and allow the psyche, because the psyche itself has, has a plan, you know, the overall, the objective psyche is always guiding you to bring you back to equilibrium. So if you like tune into your dreams and just overall, like be very present in your everyday, you are getting messages and contacts. And I think part of it, our journey is to learn how to have this connection with it, how to interpret it, what it's trying to tell us and how to like, and then when you do that, it starts becoming less mentally exhausting because, oh my God, when you're trying to will it, I can't even tell you how exhausting it was or how painful it was to be in this process of how do I rip my brain apart? Like it was, it was mind blowing what I was doing to myself. And it was like, it was really painful. Yeah. But my journey has become a lot easier and way more flow just by surrendering, like telling my ego to just shut up for a second. I want to be present and you know, quieting that inner voice. I don't know if, if I'm making sense. Oh, no, no, hundred percent. I think what's so interesting is like, so I don't have any schooling. I took like AP psychology, mm-hmm. but I'm, I don't learn well in school. Um, I, well, so I'm super interested in like, if you will ever, my understanding is that there's only one Jungian institution that actually goes into typology um, and that most do not do that anymore. And I, I wish, and I wonder if, like why um my my therapist is not into typology i think it's because a lot of people latch onto it too heavily yes yeah um rather than using it as a framework for growth they mm-hmm. use it as a framework of like it just gets a little too defining um and i i recognize that in myself you know so i i always am trying to like back off a little bit more back off a little bit more um mm-hmm. but it just has made so much sense for me um mm-hmm. 
to understand. So like, it's really interesting because my dreams now will use that framework to express ideas to me. So mm-hmm. I'll see, like yeah. I use a car model to understand my personality and, and I'll have dreams about being in a car and like each of the positions in the car is a different topology. Um, there's this guy, John Beebe, he's a Jungian um, who has a topological model where each of the spots that each function can show up, all eight functions can show up. Each has an archetype. So there's like the first is the hero and then the good parent. And then the third is the, um, the, the eternal child. The fourth is the anima animus. And then the, like the fifth is the, um, I can't remember if he calls it like the anti-hero. Um, and then the sixth is the trickster, I think, or maybe it's the seventh. Anyway, so each one of these, but then each personality has different functions showing up at those different places. And if you can start to recognize those functions, you can also see what's carrying the, that part of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really bizarre, but um, my dreams now express ideas through that model. Um, <laughs> and so I'll find like... Um, well, I'll have dreams about, you know, being in the back right seat. And like, um, I know that that is like this um, extroverted thinking, or I'll have my sister show up who's a dominant extroverted thinker. And it'll represent a lot of like these um, values that extroverted thinking has as like an objective thing. Um, Anyway, uh, I can't remember why I was talking about that. But I Oh, I want to go back to that soulful life. Like what I hear you explaining is a soulful life, like listening to the unconscious, listening to the signals and the directions from the unconscious, which dialogue. Yeah, exactly. Getting into a dialogue. Um, That's it. I made a TikTok video the other day about that, like getting into a dialogue. Um, But I uh, understand, like, as I'm reading young and stuff, I, I recognize and understand what those moments are because of being a musician, a pianist. And like, I'm a composer. I compose like classical pieces. But when I say I, I mean, I get out of the way. So like my experience is that the songs that I write are actually when I can fully step out of the way. And then the unconscious is like, and then I have to come back and be like, okay, this is all these different things. It's like this, this, um, like the unconscious mind doesn't work in time. It doesn't have like a lot of structure. It doesn't have. And so then Jared gets to come back and try to like piece it together so that it makes more sense in this linear time and space. Um, so I, I am involved slightly, you know, where I get to like, get to put a beginning, a middle and an end to what it was Mm -hmm. um but i'm really just playing with lego pieces that the unconscious mind has given me um and knowing that experience when i'm reading about talking to the soul and like inner i was like oh yeah i know this um but it's really weird because uh i used to be able to do that really well by projecting my anima onto the external world Mm. and then for some reason this dance with myself which this is not a healthy way to, you know, this is not a really healthy way to interact with other people and love. And, but it's, we do it unconsciously. Like this is, um, have you ever read uh, the psychology of romantic love by Robert Johnson? No, but I'm reading. Um, I just finished inner work by him. I love mm. that. 
yeah I just did um, at like um simplifying you know dream work and I love the way he writes so I, I do too it's very simple like uh, I really like his uh I his book he about masculine psychology mm -hmm. follows the myth of Percival and like the um I really like when he follows a myth mm -hmm. and kind of describes um psychology along with that and that's how the psychology of romantic love it's called we um because he follows the i can't remember the original romeo and juliet the uh tristan and as Azul or something mm -hmm. um it's a it's a it's like a one of the first myths that bubbled out up in like our romance our new understanding of like romance and whatnot so it's like maybe in the 1600s or something like that but anyway um very interesting book and it is like taking a red pill for me where i realized what i was doing um and i have struggled since then to write music in the same way mm. so i'm like oh i need to connect with the soul inwardly now and that's really hard for me um huh. but i think the best way is through dreams like i've been successful only through dream embodiment where i'll like try to say that again dream tending yes exactly yeah yeah um anyway it's very exciting i i'm sorry i'm getting very excited because i don't talk to a lot of people who are who know what i'm talking about <laughs> no it's a common theme um i feel like it's really hard to find people who know what you're talking about it's so easy to find people who are talking about spirituality just in a in a very broad term you know in a broad way but when it comes to depth psychology there's not a lot of people that know about it they actually it's funny they'll know the concepts but they won't know young yeah or they won't know like that these things are all interconnected but that's okay i mean there's like power in being you know the few first ones right to really kind of broadcast this work and bridge it together so it's, it's so helpful i feel like it's such an awesome framework yes Yes, I think there's so much in that psychology that can be utilized um, properly, you know, and to really make our everyday lives easy. I mean, it's so easy to, to lean into this and kind of, it, I don't know, I feel like I, it changed my life. It really did. And so what's you know, your, what's your like day to day? Like, do you have a dream journal every morning? Like, what do you do? You know, um, everyone asks, and to be quite honest, I, it's not a lot, but it's so, it, it has really worked for me. So I go on walks every single day, whether it's multiple times in a day, but I need to be in nature. So I take that time to really walk amongst the trees. So the more the trees, the better for me. Mm. And when I'm in that, just walking through you know, in nature, I kind of go into a meditative state on my own. My brain, I mean, there's no voices in my head at all. I'm just like observing and very present. And that's when a lot of my revelations and like epiphanies and like things come because I'm so in the moment, there's just no inner critic. And, and that's yeah. actually been very strange. Like my inner critic has stopped chatting away. And it's been about two years, I would say. She hardly comes up. <laughs> and I think it was because I would lean into nature and just 
um, recharge and really try to just have this. I, I increased my faith to the point where any kind of rebuttal from the inner critic is just like not valid anymore. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always treat it like a little kid. It's like, yeah, okay, bud. Yeah, you know, exactly. pat it on its head. Yeah, but it wasn't like that before. You know, before it would consume me and paralyze me. Um, I had severe anxiety. Um, I used to resort to like drinking alcohol to kind of like numb out like the jitters. And I was, I'm very sensitive. I'm a Pisces and I'm sensitive to outside stimuli, you know, like to anybody feeling a certain way to, I could pick up on people's thoughts, but I didn't know that they were not my thoughts at the time. I had no idea. Like, I just felt like I was hearing a lot. I was feeling a lot and I was getting so uncomfortable mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, because, but, you know, the work really opened my eyes, I would say, and it made me realize, oh, my God, I have this gift for tapping in, but I need to monitor it. And so when I learned all that, I, you know, I give myself a lot of grounding time. I spend a lot of time alone. I go on walks. I meditate sometimes, not all the time. Um, sometimes I meditate for hours and sometimes it'll be like two minutes, three minutes. Like it's kind of varies depending on my needs. Yeah. But the most effective thing for me has always been taking that time, being in nature for that one hour recharges me. It clears up my mind. Um, yoga has helped a lot. I do yoga like five times a week. And I, you know, throughout my life, people had always been like, you should do your yoga. Your body type would do really well with yoga. And I would get so annoyed. I'm like, no, I want to be like dauntless. Like I want to go do like kickboxing. I want to do like something more um, extreme. And uh, you definitely are an extroverted sensor, by the way. That that makes so much sense to me. Like that recharge station. Um, You and Young have a lot in common, but I think you guys had flipped. Um, But the thing about... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You can no, go. Okay. go ahead. Talk. I love this. I'm so excited. What are you talking about? Well, so I uh, like if you think of a so your personality. I think you test as an ESTP. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm always hesitant because of how I tested as an EF or sorry ENTP, mm-hmm. but I am an ENFP um, and introverted feeling and introverted thinking often have look very similar. Um, but anyway, that's besides the point because it does sound like you're for sure an extroverted sensor and extroverted sensing. It's a polarity. So it's not, Mm -hmm. these functions don't work in a vacuum. They have two sides of them. So this is a perception. This is how you take in information. Um, and it's your charging port is how I've been describing it. So it's like, you go plug into nature and that clears this mind. And all of a sudden what happens is that you're opening up to introverted intuition. So yeah. like by, and Jung did the same thing, but he would go build rocks, castles and play in the sand. And it would, that would open him up to that intuition as well. So very, very similar. Uh, and I think that function, like a, that coin, if you will. So it's got the introverted intuition and the expert sensing on it. Mm-hmm. The more developed it is, the more it acts as one thing. Yeah. If that makes sense. And so it sounds like you have a good, healthy relationship with it, which is really cool. You know, it was so natural because I can't tell you, I even knew about this stuff. I had, I was, I typed, um, I tested as an ENTJ. Hmm. 
um, cause they're very similar. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I had no idea until someone, it took, um, another young man in my co- cohort to type me as ESTP and it took him three months. Okay. Cause I, I I'm so much like a ENTJ. Yeah. And I've actually met INTJs and we just click like crazy because yeah. when I'm, when I'm hanging out with an INTJ, we have the same mental thoughts and like, yeah. and I'm like, man, there's someone else who thinks like me. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, well, that's I, why, that's why I think like, it could be that you're an introverted feeler too, though, because of that, that TJ, that extroverted thinking, um, mm-hmm. is the polarity of introverted feeling and extroverted thinking and introverted thinking are very different. Um, you feel like more of an introverted feeler to me than it, which would be that extroverted thinking, but that's, um, I would, I like to like, uh, it takes forever, like really. So I would just probably go with ESTP because you also do seem like an introverted thinker. Um, definitely an introverted thinker. My least favorite function is feeling. Yeah. And do you, I'm curious, do you spend like when it comes to feeling, is it, um, is that critic that you talk about that used to be debilitating? Was it kind of more of a emotion? Yes. <laughs> well, and it was it in context of like, um, how do I say this? It's like making good decisions based on what people think you should be doing feeling wise. Yes. Um, it would, the inner critic would kind of like come out and just like paralyze me with emotion whether it would be like, oh, like just, I would, cause I was always a very, very neutral person. Like I'm very easygoing when I'm out and about, I don't feel much, you know, in the sense of, I don't, I'm not tapped into my emotions. So I'm like going about, you know, the flow of things, very easygoing. I can talk for hours (laughs) if, you know, like I usually I'm kind of like really bubbly in bigger groups. And there isn't much connection with how I'm feeling. Sure. When people ask me, like, how are you feeling? I'm like, I don't know. What? <laughs> like, what, what does that even mean, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's very hard for me to answer that question. Okay. And I don't yeah. know, like, but there has been times where I felt icky and I felt weird. Like, I felt like I was, my power was diminishing and I was becoming very small. And that's when the inner critic would be like, you suck. You don't know what you're talking about. You're, you know, it was kind of like, talk to me in a very negative way. Like, see, you're disorganized and this is why this is happening. And it would just make me feel very small. And I noticed that it's because someone in the room is treating me a certain way. And I'm not picking up on the fact that they're making me feel like this. I'm just thinking that this is me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, it was so weird. So I've had to like really take a step back because it's hard to lash out at people and be like, you're doing this to me when really I'm, I'm, I don't know. Right. So I would kind of spend time alone and be like, okay, what about this person makes me feel small? Like, what are they doing that? I feel small. And then I realized, Oh, they're invalidating my stuff mm-hmm. like on a very subconscious level. They're very, doing it in a subtle way to where I, I have nothing to really, I have no rebuttal because I'm a very, if you come at me with words, I will slay you with words. Right. <laughs> I'm a very like the, the the like very witty. Like if you come at me with this is how I I'm really good at talking. Yeah. Um, but if you do things in a subtle way, I get a little. I feel something is off, but I can't logic what is off. Yeah. 
if that makes sense. Oh yeah, no, definitely. I think, I mean, that kind of confirms the ESTP for me too. Um, because like the extroverted feeling in the tertiary or the third function, which is the polarity to introverted thinking, which would be your secondary function. Um, have you ever heard of the car model? Um, the car model is, uh, you have a driver, you have a co-pilot who directs the driver. And then there's a 10 year old in the back passenger and a three year old in the back, uh, driver. But so your driving for you is your extroverted sensing. It's your charging port. It's like where you get into that flow. You go into the walk into the, with the trees and you get into that flow state. And the co-pilot is the, and, and it's also, sorry, the driver for you is a perceiving function. You're taking in yeah. information um, or you're taking in and opening up to the unconscious. And mm -hmm. so that's that introverted intuition where all of these insights are bubbling up. Um, but that's perceiving, right? You're perceiving new insight and yeah. new stimulus. Um, whereas the co-pilot is the person with the map um, or the Google maps or whatever, and is like um, informing or is making the decisions like, Hey, you got to take this left. You got to take this right. Um, and as an introverted thinking, that's going to be based on what is objectively true. Yes. <laughs> Right. It's like, no, no, no. We're going to make this decision because it's like, I know it to be true to me, yeah. um, which is very similar to feeling introverted feeling is I'm going to make this decision decision because I feel mm -hmm. that it's true, like true to me. It's yeah. not objective. Like I'm, I might on paper, this looks stupid as hell, but I have to do this yeah. um, versus introverted thinking is like on paper, this makes a lot of sense. And mm -hmm. I'm going to make that decision. Um, and typically that's going to be really powerful for you, right? Like that's going to be very on point. It's going to be a superpower actually. Mm -hmm. um, but then the, the polarity of that, the 10 year old in the back seat is also a decision maker um, and is going to be extroverted. So that introverted thinking probably was difficult for you to get into because you'd rather just kind of like stay stimulating. Like I drank alcohol so that I could avoid going inward essentially <laughs> um or smoke weed or do or hang out with friends so i could didn't have to go inward and see like is it so uncomfortable for me to go inward for some reason and i think a lot of extroverted drivers have a really hard time getting into that co-pilot um but we have a lot easier time going into the 10 year old because it shares the same attitude as our driver extroversion and it's going to be feeling extroverted feeling for you which um I think extroverted feelers tend to not even really well-developed like the two adults in the car mm -hmm. I describe as well-developed. Like if you have an extroverted feeling in that co-pilot, you can still struggle to know what your emotions are and what other people's emotions are. It's really hard. Um, I know that for a fact it's been, like you said, it's um, because, you know, part of me is very vocal. And then there's a part of me that doesn't need to communicate because it, everything just makes sense to me. So I'm kind of going about it. Yep. And I, I'm like, and at sometimes I feel like I'm communicating telepathically to people. And, you know, some people get the message, some people don't, depending on how sick they are. Right. <laughs> but I definitely have had like telepathy with certain people in my lives where it's been very strange. Like I can just like, like talk to them in my head. My mom is the number one person who can, I can do this with. Mm. Um, but yeah, the feeler, man, when that extrovert, because that three-year-old in the backseat loves to sabotage, 
loves to chop everything up, like loves to make me look like a little girl. And, you know, listening to her was, I mean, I had ignored her for so long, mm-hmm. you know, being the eldest and always kind of, um, you know, I'm the person people rely on for logic. And like you said, that objective thinking or that objective truth, you know, I, I'm very reasonable. I'm very logical. I look at things very realistically, even though I have a very dreamy appearance, mm-hmm. um, you know, people have always told me, you look like you're someone who's like heads in the clouds, but I'm very logical. I'm very straightforward yeah. and I'm very blunt. So confrontation. I love that about introverted thinking. My, my older brother's an introverted or my two brothers are both introverted thinkers. I absolutely love it. They'll yeah. just tell me I'm like, they'll tell me if I'm doing something irrational or not. And it's so helpful for me because I yeah. don't know. I'm very, very blunt. And sometimes it throws people off because they're like, you look like you'd be such a soft person. And I'm like, no, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. but um, growing up, I had to kind of tone it down a bit for the sake of others. I felt like I was hurting people's feelings. Yes. That uh, introverted thinking is really good at hurting people's feelings because it doesn't care. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> logic, you know? And so, and the thing is that when I get that same feedback back, I don't get upset. Right because I'm so accustomed to it. It's my way of speaking. So when someone tells me, like, I remember a friend told me, you need to see a therapist. Like you get so irrational and like da, 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 this about this. I was like, I had to take a step back, but I was like, oh my God, I think she's right. <laughs> like, you know, I wasn't even like, who is this girl? Like telling me what I should, I literally was, I thought this is something actually that is true and yeah. I should do that. Um, so I don't get as offended what I do get offended by is when someone is being passive aggressive because I'm very aggressive. If you come at me with aggression, like not in a, like the, not the aggressive way, way, but if you come at me and say, Hey, you know, you did this and like, just talk to me be very confrontational. I handle it so well, Yeah. but it's the passive aggressive sneaky side things that really bring out the inner child. Because I think for me in the past, like parents were always kind of sneaky and so she's hypersensitive to that. Mm. Well, it's interesting because I, I, I want to be clear because I think the three-year-old is the one that's behind the, is the introverted intuition that works with extroverted sensing and is very, uh, I think of introverted intuition as uh, um, almost like a door into the unconscious mind. So like more than anyone, introverted intuitives have mm-hmm. a connection with the intro or with un- the unconscious and the collective unconscious and like the world of the archetypes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't use, I, I use extroverted intuition, by the way, I'm not an introverted intuitive. Um, but I know a lot about it because all of the people around me, What's your like, type? Sorry. I'm an ENFP. ENFP. Uh-huh. So that the, uh, that means that a lot of people don't know this, but there's the dichotomy, right? Extroverted, introverted, uh, intuition, sensing, feeling, thinking, perceiving, judging, but you can also use those four letters to get the the two the driver and the co-pilot. So it's like the P tells me that I use an extroverted perception. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was a J, I would use extroverted judging. But mm-hmm. extroverted perception is going to be either intuition or sensing. So for you, the P tells us that your sensing is extroverted. For me, it tells me that my intuition is extroverted. And that then I can go to the either the I at the beginning or the E at the beginning to tell me what I drive with. So it's confusing because it doesn't go in order. 
So like an INFP is still using extroverted perception. So, but they're driving with the introverted function. So it's like a, a Rubik's cube. So it automatically puts, um, for an INFP, it puts their introverted feeling dominant and then the secondary extroverted intuition, even though you would read it as like introverted intuitive, but it's actually uh, introverted feeling extroverted intuitive. Um, anyway, so I wanted to say though, cause you were talking about like the three-year-old is really interesting because it's kind of, it throws tantrums. Um, but yours is that introverted intuition. And I think a way I see it showing up in you is that tapping into other people's minds. Um, almost maybe you've probably gotten better at this, but it probably happened um, like kind of hot and cold. Like, um, like I would even say sometimes maybe it didn't happen at all. And other times you were like swimming in their mind almost. Um, yeah. And that's something that I haven't actually talked to a lot of extroverted sensors. I think uh, a lot of extra extroverted sensors um, don't get as intellectual because they're out playing adrenaline games, you know? Yeah. They want to go kickbox and they want to yes. climb rocks. Yes. Yeah. It used to be me. That used to be me. I always wanted to have fun. And that's why a lot of people assume that I was not intelligent. Right. You know, like they're like, oh, she's just like a party girl, fun girl. It's the, the dumb jock uh, archetype. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I definitely considered not too bright because I was always chasing stimulus. Um, did I say that right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I don't but know. That's, that's what I love about type is that it doesn't define behavior no. or yeah. Any, any, any of that really yeah. like most ENFPs are really passive aggressive, immature people. <laughs> I have not met a single ENFP that I look up to, which is really frustrating for me. Cause I'm like, I want a image of what I'm trying to grow towards. Um, and I think the ENFP has a really hard time becoming introspective. Um, similarly, I think for the, ESTP, but that introverted thinking is very, very powerful. Um, it, it is. I agree. Um, it did help to kind of, I think my rock bottom, when we were talking about rock bottoms, I realized that I, because I was chasing like this high and like, I wanted to be accepted and like to have fun. Mm -hmm. I had forgotten that other people were not on the same page, you know? And I, I thought I was doing this and as someone who loves to kind of be the mediator and I like, you know, smooth things over for everyone in a way, I'm the friend you take to parties because I can kind of break the ice. You know, I can change the energy in the room. I can kind of like, I was everyone's favorite wing woman. Yeah. Anytime someone goes like in my friend groups, like, Oh, Serva, can you come to this? And, you know, I get a lot of invitations. Yeah. And I thought that was cool. And then I didn't realize that I was kind of being treated in a very bad because it, it has it's a double edged sword. You're you're the wing woman for a reason, but then what if the other side? I noticed that when I would let's just say there was a conversation where something was uh, more academic, and I would just light up 
And then I would like leave whatever it is I was doing. And I had to have this profound conversation. I was so like involved. Like I was like, boom, like I was visualizing what they were saying. I was really in it. And I was like tapping into them without knowing what I was doing. And I realized that it was not received well. Mm. It's not party. It's not party material. No, it was not party material. It's like, whoa. I know exactly what you're talking about, by the way. (laughs) You know, it was like, we thought you were just a part, like it, it was not received well. Um, and I think my, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but when I realized it, I, I didn't hit me that people thought I was dumb because, you know, one-on-one, all my friends knew I was brilliant. <laughs> you know, they, they all knew that I had lots of wisdom, but in gatherings, I was treated not so much that way, but more as like the party girl. And then when other people started noticing it just changed the dynamic of my friend groups. It really, that's why I had to like lose a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. It just no longer resonated. I was no longer down or willing to be the wing woman or the girl that like just wants to party anymore. Like it just, because I needed mental stimulation. Yeah. Yeah, no, actually I, I really, really identify with that. Like I, um, I'm like, pretty full-time or I just started doing coaching like in January so I'm really new to it and so I've been doing odd freelance gigs um and one of those that I used to do a lot of is working music festivals on the cruise ships so like I have a team that we all go on and we build like five different stages and we have a week-long music festival with like 40 bands and I'm running sound and I'm like um moving gear and doing all these things it's like production right like i'm producing an event and uh i used to party so hard when we would go on these and everyone would just like it was just so mind numbing that you just get into that state of being numbed um and i no longer can do that i don't want to do that and so like i did one of the i did two cruises this year and like the same exact thing happened where I realized like everyone here thinks I'm dumb because no one here wants to talk about what I'm actually into. Right. Like, and I, like, I get so drained and, and in typology terms, it's because I'm not participating in my two driving functions. I'm participating in the back seat where for me, that's introverted sensing extroverted thinking, which is extroverted thinking is very much so like get this done point A to point B go like efficiency. Um, doesn't really it's it's so draining for me um anyway like i i really it's kind of fun to hear because like it's such an awful feeling to be like everyone here thinks i'm dumb um and i'm so like i've worked so hard my whole life because that's been a huge thing for me too is like because i um because i haven't been able to like tap into what brings me into flow with most people like I haven't been able to tap into that with most people most people think I'm dumb um and like TikTok has changed my changed that for me like hardcore where I'm like oh okay like I I can be this part of me and it's received well you know Mm -hmm. but before that like I would go on lots of dates like I dated a lot over the last four years and like I would immediately just like I'm just going to be myself and if they don't like me perfect we'll get this done quick so I don't have to like 
yeah you know go three three weeks of pretending to be something I'm not um and like I I just realized like how many people get overwhelmed with me you know it's like so much I think it makes sense because you are tapped into something it's deeper you know and people are afraid of depth like I mean having small talk is so easy Uh, for me (laughs) are not yeah it's for someone who goes deep small talk is like not that you know easy no but you know overall people love to stay very surface level with each other and even in dating specifically why because you want to go slow you kind of want to show your best self you don't (laughs) want to share you don't want to go that deep and then when we do go deep you know we have this vulnerability fear like oh my god I was so vulnerable this person has seen a totally different side of me we're not very accepting of the things we hear so it makes perfect sense to uh, have and I think it's kind of why everyone has so many dating issues <laughs> you know we we want to get to know each other but we don't want to get to know each other on a deep level and at the same time we're afraid of baggage because <laughs> you know once you go deep then it's like man do I have to carry this baggage with me now everywhere like this person has opened it um and has let me look inside and I, now I have to fold it back and put it back and then you know carry it for them too because that's what we're thinking right mm-hmm. but um you know, it's, it's so interesting. As I've been coaching, relationships are a huge thing. Everybody's first um, aim or goal is to find a partner. Hmm. And then when you start doing the work and you realize you're not really looking for a partner, you're looking for yourself. And you're yeah. hoping that when the partner comes, that somehow you would just magically become this highest version of yourself that you have in your head. But it's actually not true. You would love uh, that Robert Johnson, the the psychology of romantic love. It's just exactly what you're saying. I'm going to definitely read it. <laughs> but yeah, it's something I've just realized because, um, you know, when I was younger, I was dating, but I was never like fulfilled. And I've stopped. I haven't dated, actively dated people um, in the same way for years. And it's because I've been more fulfilled. Yeah. I'm so much happy. I'm very happy being alone. But I was talking to a guy and I realized like, man, this person wants to tell me that I am like this close and this whatever to get me to open. And then I was, I was like, no, 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 we're at totally different frequencies because the, the way that when we work on ourselves, Jared, and this is really tough because there's not a lot of people in the world that are peeling off layers. They're actually, tr- they don't know how to do that. And they're lost and they're believing that if they meet this magical person who has this great lifestyle, that they would automatically become like them. So they're looking for an out, but in a person, right? But they just don't realize that that person has complexities in the whole world themselves. So what happened for me is when I stopped dating and I actually just focused on myself, I, it became actually even harder to connect So like my attention span, it got shorter with people who were not willing to go a certain like place with me. And then I became open to like, what what, what did I want to tell you where I want to go with this is I did not know how to receive love. And I had to really become aware of that. And then I had to kind of lean on, hey, a lot of people are going to come into my life right now. They're going to show me what I need to work on but they might not be the guy. 
because this idea of oneness, this soulmate, I don't know if, like, I believe there is a soulmate. I do believe there are soulmates in the world. I, I want to know what that means, but you can finish, but I want to go back to that. Okay. So, but like this idea of like, I needed to open my heart and I knew that my heart was not ready. And so I, you know, every now and then I would have this urge to go somewhere to maybe do something and I would meet someone who would teach me. And I had to learn this um, detachment. I would be like, this is your teacher. Remember this guy, he is here to teach you. And I had the most beautiful experiences with my teachers, you know, in the sense of like, I remember one guy I went, I had just learned surfing and he, we were in the water and he told me like, I'm still here. Like he just made this, like, I was, I was lost in the water and I swam up to, to see if he was there. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I'm here. I'm still here. Don't worry. I got you. Like even that simple saying, I, I had to think about it. I'm like, wow, I haven't heard that. Or like, what does that mean? Like, I'm, like little things or someone told me let go, like trust, like little random things. And I realized they were teachers. Mm-hmm. So when you look at dating in the sense of finding this absolute guy, you're kind of doing it wrong, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But if you look at it as an experience, a learning experience, and you meet these individuals who actually teach you so much, there's so much there for you. And so I'm very, I'm in a place of gratitude when things don't work out and there's detachment because you can let them go. You don't, there's no possessiveness. There's no, like, let me hold on to this. It's like, no, this person has fulfilled a role. That's kind of how I look at my life in general. If someone comes and goes, whether it's a friend or I'm like, this person has something to teach me. I'm going to be grateful for this lesson, but I'm going to let them go because, you know, but, and then when you're in that state, magic happens in the sense of manifestations, rewards. Um, it's very beautiful. And I cannot wait to like simplify this formula in a way that I can actually introduce it to my clients better. But it's mind blowing how easier your life becomes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because that's something I'm working on right now. So I've been, um, I've had a very like, I'm a very um, relationshipy person. I like um, got married at a really young age, got divorced. Um, I had like 50 love interests from, you know, seventh grade to senior year. Like I just was like, I'm just very, very pulled by my anima essentially. Um, and uh as soon as I get to know people, my anima drifts off to somebody else. And I'm like, oh, shit, I'm so essentially like I've been looking for like what you're saying, the divine in other people. But it's, it's really in me. Right. Like it's I've been in search of myself my whole life. And I thought I would find it in other people. And uh, and then when I found this out, um, I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to try to develop a relationship with me. Um and I happened to meet someone at that same time who, like, um, there was, like, this um, understanding. And we just, like, really, really clicked. And we really worked well together in my um, inner journey. And, like, like, essentially someone that I didn't project 
entirely my divine onto her right and it was like oh you're actually a really good friend who i'm sexually attracted to and this and like and there's also this spiritual thing that we've got going here anyway um and then so i'm still dating her and i'm trying to also figure out how to because as dating goes on um i start seeing people come in like teachers like you're saying right um Mm -hmm. and i'm all of a sudden like okay where's the line where if I'm in this monogamous thing, what is, I need to be able to learn from these people still. And what does that consist of? Is that, do I need to fall in love? Do I need to have sex with these people in order to like fulfill some sort of like uh, duty to my soul, if you will. Um, so this is like, I'm in the depth of this right now. I'm like playing with this. And, um, and so I've been taking alchemical courses from Robert Bosnack, who's a Jungian, and he kind of describes this inner container of the alchemical process uh, as rubber. Like you have to have a rubber container or a plastic, right? That can move. And I'm essentially, and also Esther Perel, I don't know if you know Esther Perel, but she talks a lot about this too, of like redefining monogamy as, um, as a more plastic container Um, because if it's glass and then I need to follow my soul in some direction and it shatters the glass, um, then I'm not able to live a soulful life and be in in a relationship at the same time. Right. So I'm like in the midst of trying to figure out how do I live a soulful life? How do I be in touch with the unfolding of like the blossoming of the soul while also maintaining truthful um like yeah a relationship and and it doesn't need to and i guess really what i think it is is that there needs to be a plasticity and an ability for it to morph and change almost constantly um (laughs) but it takes like a ton of conversations and but it's not even yeah anyway (laughs) this is where i'm at right now you're asking let's go back to your first question do i believe in like that one soulmate or that right yeah 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 i think that's what we're leading to do i believe in this one soulmate i do the traditional side of me does however i think that there are karmic contracts we have you know there's a lot of things in life that are unexplainable for example like if i were to look at my life just from a very uh timeline perspective of like where I was, who I dated, all of those people were essential to get me to this point that I am at now. Um, Does it mean that, but you know, there is this uh, thing, Jared, where I believe that timing is so important. So it's like, we're looking for a soulmate or like we're looking for a partner and you're committed, but then there's a whole other side of you that's unexpressed and unexplored that actually needs like more free time, you know, that needs that liberty. So in a way, I think that we are so quick to look for the person that we forget to look for ourselves. But if that fulfillment of self discovery, self fulfillment, or like if we were actually spending more of that time, not looking outside of ourselves and actually looking inwards, would we need that same level? That's the question. 
would this even happen if I had already explored myself, you know, with the next person? Because, you know, when I de- like, there are people that haven't, you know, they're just, there's, there's still so much for them to learn and explore in this world. But we are constantly like, let's just say our programming is to watch Disney movies, you know, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty. Like there's all this, like the Prince Charming, the girl, we, we literally, I remember having a crush when I was a child. Like, I think I was like three or four. It's like, we're programmed, hardwired to find that other, that somebody, uh, you know, that something outside of ourselves to give us this feeling of wholeness. Right. And it's, you know, it's, I, I wonder if that would be necessary if we actually spent the majority of our 20s being single. Yeah, I mean, this has been a big, uh, like, as I've learned more and more about young, I, I'm working with my, uh, my therapist right now and my dreams and stuff. It's like, something big on my mind is like, um, what is the function of, um, the relationship beyond children for me, like what is, if I'm not going to have kids, um, do, is this relationship coping with instead of confronting wife? Um, so it's like, I've been struggling with this idea of, well, it's like what you're saying, like this timing thing of exploration, continuing to explore as it unfolds. But for me, that unfolding is like continual till I die, right? That's going to never stop. Um, I, I use this. So like, let's say, sorry to cut you off, but I'm, I'm like, it's like when you say, what is it, what is there beyond children? So let's say you're with a, you know, you're in a relationship for five years, things are kind of going, it's comfortable, you know? And you're thinking, should we have kids? Like, what do we need now, right? But what if, and again, I don't have the answers. I'm just throwing things out there. You and I are kind of like, we're just exploring, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, that's all I do. <laughs> so, I don't know shit. Yeah, exactly. I don't know either. But I'm curious, like in my head, sometimes I think about that and I'm going, well, if I had this bigger purpose and if I was fully satisfied with this big purpose, that if I knew what I wanted to create, to build in this life, this soul mission, and I was so aligned, then the person that I would meet would help me build on that or they would build theirs or, you know, they would do, you know, it's like being on this path. You have so much to do mm-hmm. that is like going to be so impactful that I'm curious, do we resort to this thinking of, should we have kids because there is no soul alignment? You know, are you with someone and doing a job that you don't like, for instance, let's say you're a couple who's living in a cute town, you guys have the same friends, there's not much change, you know, you have a mundane job, or maybe you have an exciting job, right? You might even like your job and you like your partner, but there's no excitement there. It's like, do we fuel that with more purposeful work, you know, with more soul, you know, um, so like fiery, you know, things, or do we go, let's just have kids. Maybe like this kid will bring this excitement and like, I want to be a father and you can be a mom. That would be a cool role to play. You know, it's well, like, what about this though? What if, what if the, and also, by the way, I'm not actually, I don't actually think that I, so what if it's that the setting creates optimal, uh, 
circumstances for the father mother archetype to move in and then that mm. takes over does that make sense like what if it's not so conscious um what if those archetypes are real and that if you were to create this thing if that it can move into um mm. so like one perspective is that maybe it's not so conscious maybe it isn't so mm-hmm. up to me right or mm. but i also don't think that i've and or ever, I don't think I have and or ever will create the optimal, um, essentially, yeah, the optimal circumstances for that archetype to move into me. Um, I don't know that for sure, but I have a different duty. I, I have a different baby to take care of. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very creative. I think I have to create still. Mm-hmm. Um but does that make sense though? That like it might not be so up to you. Up to you. Yeah. Yeah, of course it makes sense. I think that everything and this is the what I love about depth psychology is everything is subjective. There is no objective truth. We can search for days. You and I can sit here for hours and be like, could it be like this or could it be like that? There's just the options are unlimited. We don't know. We haven't even scratched the surface of what is possible. So do we have the answers? No, but we can kind of guess and play around with things. And it's, it is really exploration. At the end of the day, you might be that person, Jared, who does something so unconventional, but it might really work out for you. You know, like I know that polyamorous relationships work for some people, you know, they're happy They're And then there's people. Do, they, do you? Cause I, I don't know anyone. I have not met a single person, but that's besides the point. That's a different conversation. I mean, I've definitely heard on podcasts, some people like loving it, you know? Um, but personally me, I, I wouldn't, it's not something that I would be at this stage in my life. I can't even fathom such a thing, mm. <laughs> but you know, I'm, I mean, I've definitely have heard from clients and other people that they have explored it and it was, it worked for them because I mean, typically these people are, let's be honest, they're anxious attachment or they're avoidance. You know, it's like the commitment phobes. Oh my God, yes, I can have you here and I can do this and I can still be free. Kind of puts a band-aid on the fear of being in a committed relationship, right? Sure. Uh, In some cases, I think that a lot of these people that I have heard from, and this is, again, totally my perspective and my uh, perception, what I've heard and experienced, because I have not actually been in these situations. So what I have felt and seen in those people, they were typically avoidance. And it made really good, because these are the serial daters that, you know, that have, or, you know, there is a very conscious couple that I, I remember they were talking about this, and this is a very conscious, like, um, couple and she was like I asked my uh, my boyfriend if he would be open to an open relationship and he said no I prefer to sleep uh at night peacefully like I don't want my my I don't want my thoughts to race I like my peace thank you I want to have a peaceful mind and I want to sleep properly I know where my own bed is where my girl is like I just like that that to me is more important than exploring right Mm -hmm. so there's people like that too but is it a one size fits all? I don't know. And what is polyamorous relationships? I mean, I was in this clubhouse thing and I remember in the clubhouse, they were all talking about love and polyamorous relationships and love. And each person that took a turn to speak, Jared, in my opinion, was wounded. Yeah. I could feel that there was pain in their voices or, you know, 
it's like the fear of being unwanted. So let me, let me make myself an option so that I don't have to conquer this fear of why I feel unwanted, you know, or like there was this, there was so many things in that conversation. I'm like, man, each person that I'm hearing from their words were saying something else, but my feelings and my, what I was sensing was totally different. It's like pain, 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 pain. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I, I, I resonate. I recognize that as well. And everyone, like, that's why I say, like, I haven't ever seen it um executed in a way that is what i would consider like fully Mm -hmm. conscious and i it's so interesting because i've been having this conversation with my girlfriend about um like i i gave her the metaphor my friend gave me a metaphor that then i'm have been using because it made so much sense to me of being a dog who wants to be able to chase squirrels but like everyone knows he's never going to catch the squirrel but he wants to be able to chase the squirrel. It's like a, it, but it's this about this trust of always coming back to the owner as well, where you build this bond with the dog because you can let it off its leash and it chases all around and then it comes back home um, and it burns all this extra energy and it comes back home. And so there's this, this part of the shadow, my shadow of, um, and this is what's, I get super interested in this with like, you know, infidelity and like Esther Perel's work and um, the state of affairs and whatever. So I'm like, how do I, because I can feel certain parts of my shadow in this monogamous relationship. I feel them creeping up and I'm like, I need to become conscious of this. And I need, you know, I need to be able to work with these things so that they don't gain power over me. And I do something stupid that mm-hmm. I don't have full consciousness over so um how can i essentially yeah like there's like this container that i'm talking about this rubber container that's monogamy can be really brittle um or maybe we can rediscuss the terms of what monogamy really is because you know what do we see like what you're saying like um how often are people just like um getting into a monogamous relationship, thinking that's what's going to save them from suffering, essentially. Um, I don't know if I'm making any sense. Like, I'm not actually asking a question. I'm more just exploring with yeah, you. Yeah. No, yeah. We're, we think the same way because I like to just talk. I'm not really like, uh, I, I like to just brainstorm. That's what I call it. Yeah. I call it kicking up dust because yeah. I don't know what we're really getting at. But if we... Yeah, it's like you never know what you're getting at. Um, but relationships and monogamy I don't know it's a tough one you know a part of me wants to the traditional part of me really wants to believe that there is this monogamy and that people are really happy being married to each other and like want See, to I have never met someone I've never met a polyamorous relationship that's really happy I've never met a monogamous relationship that's really happy you know a friend of mine we were talking the single people are unhappy the coupled up people are unhappy the married people are unhappy overall I think the collective is not happy yeah there you go that yeah (laughs) you know it's like so we can use our we'll use any excuse in the book to be to say this is why i'm not happy i'm not happy because my girlfriend won't let me date other girls i'm not happy because you know my husband is that i'm not happy it's like we will find a million reasons to attach to our unhappiness whether it being i'm saying i'm unhappy and lonely because I have no one to watch a movie with you know and it's like like it's it just the list goes on so it's like is it really relationships that we should be focusing on more than 
I think the focus should shift back to why are we unhappy in the first place? Right. Because we're disconnected from soul. Yes. Because so, if you have that connection, would the outside circumstances affect us the same way? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, imagine if a person's fulfilled, would it matter that they're married? Right. Yeah. It could go either way. Yeah. Well, I mean, let me read you this. I wrote this yesterday. Uh, um, hold on. Let me see. So I do not feel free. I, I um, would I feel free the same or would I feel the same way in, in my loneliness? Like if I was to be single or something, the loneliness I feel isn't fixed by getting into a relationship that only loves one part of my experience. Um, it is fixed by me loving all of the different experiences within me. Yeah. I can do this in or out of a relationship. Exactly. Um, which is always so frustrating because then you're like, well, damn it. I don't want to do the work. I want something else to fix it for me. Yes. Because doing the work is hard. Yeah. Let me tell you, Jared, people will do a million ayahuasca ceremonies, but they will not do the work. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, That's I, actually, it makes no sense to me. I'm like, do you realize you're putting yourself through so much, but they won't do oh. the work, the real internal work. And it's so much more liberating. I mean, you have an internal compass, you have this connection, you have life would be so easy and so much happier if you just connect back in, but we'll do anything. We'll do drugs. We'll do like I said, I, I mean, every time I hear an ayahuasca journey and the person's like, yeah, I got decapitated in my journey. And I'm like, you would rather go through that than sit down with a coach or a therapist and just work it out. Right. Pay attention to your dream or like to some, uh, cause that's the thing is I've made way more. Cause I used to smoke a lot of DMT. I, I I'm a huge fan of mushrooms, but like it only, in fact, one of my mushroom trips was like, stop coming back here. You aren't doing the work. Like, go home. You know? Oh, I love that. <laughs> and I was like, shit. So I didn't do mushrooms for five years I and I, I had to do the work. I want to do a, an episode with you where we talk about our psychedelic journey because my mushroom journey was absolutely out of this world. But like you said, it's a timing thing, you know, like oh, yeah. how often are you going? I mean, I only did it one time and one time was all I ever needed. Hmm. And we'll see if like in the future there will be another exploration but um you, you, like you said if it's like telling you to go back so if we're going to these ceremonies thinking i gotta fix it and then there's this integration part that a lot of people miss mm -hmm. and then it's like this thing of nihilism we should explore that because if you are seeing so much and you're not ready wouldn't it take you to a point of nihilism in the sense oh, 100%. Of what's the point? Well, have you seen that movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once? Yeah. Or no, I haven't seen it, but I should see it. It's about this. It's really good. Uh, it's just, it's it's really good, but it could also like, it's like mushrooms. So it's like, be careful because it will knock apart your perception yeah. of reality. Essentially. It takes time. Like nobody wants to be patient. Everything has to be fast. The connection has to be fast. Like you need to have instant chemistry. You need to, the sex has to be amazing from the beginning. It's like, what? Doesn't it take time? Like, excuse me, everything takes time. And if you have something so fast, do you appreciate it? Right. No. Um, that's why the journeys are longer. And I think we, but we live in a very fast world everything has to come now and there's yeah. patience I want well and that's I want that's always been oh sorry 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 
Wait, what did you say? I cut you off. I want my money now. I want my house now. I want my Range Rover now. Like I want it all now. Yeah, I want I want 20 clients a week right now. I know. And I started three months ago. That's so funny. You said I want 10 uh, more clients. And I was thinking, man, do you know? <laughs> I want 20 more. I want, I, I could do four sessions a day. Okay. I've, I've done five sessions a day and it has been, I mean, I did that for a whole week. Uh-huh. And it, a lot. Worked, it was a lot. And I was doing school. Mm. But, you know, I do believe in manifesting. So if you want those 20, you will get them. I hope you're ready. <laughs> I hope I am too. I think I, I leave them feeling like they those sessions are my charging port. Like it gets me into my intuition so hardcore that I leave feeling like I got paid and I got energy. Usually you trade money for energy, you know? Yeah. I'm like doubling down. It's kind of cool. I love that. That's why I'm doing it. I'm like, oh my God, this is a win-win. Like I don't, I, it's like, it's literally like I'm getting paid twice as much. Yeah. A lot of my sessions are channeled and those make me feel amazing. But the ones where they talk to the human me. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Where it's like, I don't want to talk to you as a per like my, my human self should not have a point in this conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. My human self doesn't know shit. It's going to make things worse. Yeah, um, it also should not be here. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I want to go back to the nihilism because this was a huge point, especially when I got sober, because it's like I had these peak experience, peak experience, peak experience, but you come right back down um, and you never learn to integrate what you're what you're learning. So. <laughs> The biggest issue in the spiritual community that I'm aware of is that it its foundation is on these peak experiences with no integration. And that okay, um, separate conversation. Yeah. We should wait for another one because that is what I've been talking about for the last three weeks. And I've tried to explain to people, but I think we we could do an episode. I would love for you to come online and we can talk about this. Yeah, or, I would love to. And you can post it on yours and I can post it on mine too. It doesn't matter, but yeah, I think this I think we could talk about we could do as many of these as you want. I absolutely love like in fact, we should talk about because it's been almost two hours. Um, yeah, we need to like wrap it up because no one's going to listen to something for two hours. <laughs> maybe Joe Rogan goes on for like eight. Um, no. But I don't listen to him, so I don't know. Uh <laughs> I, uh, I'll listen to 15 minutes, but, um, hold on. I wanted to say though, cause like, I like what you said though, because people don't realize when you experience infinite paradox, like that's, I've been reading synchronicity, uh, the theory of Carl Jung's and, uh, he was talking to Einstein about this relativity and he proposes this relativity that the psyche has to time space and how, so I'm starting to think of this thing of like the more conscious or aware you become, you experience time and space contracted essentially. Um, and so I've had experiences where I feel that I am simultaneously experiencing all of time and space all at once, which, and even more than that, all of experience, all options, all paradox. And in that moment, it's like, what is, in that moment, it's, blissful and terrifying and like nihilistic all at the same time um and if i didn't have like if that happened to me when i was 15 or 18 years old i would have been fucked like i would have had such a hard time finding meaning and purpose to hold on to 
Yeah. And there are kids doing these things right now. And, you know, that are younger and, um, you know, there is so much, there's this desire for this experience right now. And the more we talk about it, the more people are curious, but, um, like you said, I would be fucked if it, it happened sooner. And I think that's the thing when we actively will things like when we rely on ego to go to this to do this we're taking away a lot from our life because the universe and your actual objective psyche knows how to guide you at what time yes timing is absolutely key but the problem is we don't trust it no you know this is huge we don't trust it and that's the thing part of my practice i focus so much on trust and faith because it's really trusting your internal compass Mm -hmm. and it has a plan it has a way all you need to do you know as far as like there are situations where if you're on a specific trajectory you're going to be there for a long time right and if you want to pivot you have to tap in and you have to request that you would like a different outcome you know it's like being like realizing that wait my subconscious is you know, doing all of this stuff, that three-year-old is, has this, this program that's like running itself. Right. But then it's like, when you connect back to source and you connect with this psyche, it actually is going to guide you in the best, highest outcome. Yeah. And your work is to get rid of the, the rebuttals within your, you know, it's like when the psyche goes says, or when your intuition says, go do this or reach out to this person and you're going, nah, whatever. Like it's kind of like debunking these beliefs, these voices and relying on that. Um, that's really the work. But when we take matters into our own hands, and as you know, we're people, humans, anytime we take something into our own hands, we fuck it up. I know this personally from personal experience. Yes. Anytime we try to take something into our hands and I'm going to fix this and I'm going to do it right. Mm-hmm. We fuck up. Well, we're trying to fix the problem with the creator of the problem. Um, that's what's so interesting about the ego is you need outside. You need to relativize the ego. That's individuation. But mm-hmm. I, I love this because I've tried to explain this to people too, who are interested in psychedelics. And I always tell them like, if you want to work with the unconscious mind or the, the universe, let's say, mm-hmm. we have a natural function for it called dreaming. And I would recommend starting, if you can learn to integrate dreams, then mushrooms might be a really powerful experience yeah. that you can integrate, but you have to learn how to integrate first. And you have to learn how to decipher symbolism and archetype and like mm-hmm. um, hidden mumble jumble non-rational things because that's what the mushroom experience is right like it's not linear it's it's unconscious it's like you turn the ego off and it's so easy just to have this out-of-body psychic experience and then come back to the ego and be like oh here like going back to my normal day after that bizarre thing and that's what we do every night when we dream and we come back we dream we come back and if we can learn how to slowly infuse the ego with that unconsciousness or that non-linearity or non-rational part of our psyche Mm -hmm. um you gain the same benefits but over time and so you slowly start to live a soulful life and that's what everyone's after with the mushroom trip or with the ayahuasca is the soulful life 
to meet their connection. You know, they hear of people who've seen their lovers in the ayahuasca ceremony. They've seen all these outcomes and people have divorced after an ayahuasca ceremony. They realize, you know, Aya showed them that they're not meant to be with this partner. But overall, when there's this um, theme of Aya, is, it's a calling. The why do they call it a calling? Because when your psyche puts you in a state, like it's, I, it's not something, it's not a, a trend just because someone said I was called. You have to ask them, what does that mean? How did that play out versus, oh, if they're called, then I must be called. And then it's like, everyone's jumping on. Yeah, I was called. And I'm like, were you really called? <laughs> what no. does that calling look like? Well, what does it mean? And a lot of, I, I'm not trying to be a hater, but it's just a matter of when it is the psyche guiding you to this experience, it's totally different. You are unaware of what you're you're going to have. You're going to be surprised. You're going to be shocked. You're going to be like, really, I'm here. It's like a, a very synchronistic, it's not you. It's not you calling up a shaman and going, I'm going to, I really want this experience. I was called, I had a dream, you know, it's not, it's not that it's more like you, the way that I personally see this is it's like you meet someone and they're sharing this with you and you're like somewhere in the, in there. And then suddenly you, it's almost as if it happens to where you're placed at a time and it just like flows and you're like, I guess I'm meant to do this. Synchronicity. It's like the, it's the inner and the outer connection between the, the inner world or the outer world. Like I had an experience where I was in New York and I was like, I want to move home. Ego Jared, no, Ego Jared wants to move to LA from New York. And I was like, I'm going to move home if the universe provides me with $500 to rent this van. Um, And then I was like, and if that doesn't happen, I'm not supposed to leave. Right. Um, And then that very night I was going to a bar, which I was sober. So this was really weird because I had just got sober and I was like, this is okay. I feel really confident. I'm going to go see my friend play music. And on my way there, like right next to the bar, I like looked under this garage and there's a piano that's sitting there and I'm just staring at it. And this random dude's like, hey, do you want to fix, like, that's my piano. Do you want to fix it? <laughs> like, it was so bizarre because I was like, I fix pianos. Like, what the hell? Like, yeah, I want to. Um, he's like, how much? I'm like, 500 bucks. And he's like, deal. He's like, this is amazing. I was just putting out into the universe to get someone to come fix my piano. And so it was like this, like, r- real big, like, right? And I was like, well, shit, I'm supposed to go home, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I felt 100%. It's so funny, though, because I was still in my ego. I was going to L.A., but mm-hmm. But the soul was like, no, you're going to Salt Lake City. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up in Salt Lake and I still was like, yeah, I'm going to move to L.A. Yeah, I'm going to move to L.A. And the soul was like, no, you're not. Like, stop saying that. That was really interesting. And eventually I caught on. I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to go to L.A. Um, but uh, anyway, that. I think is what you're talking about, where there's like this. You had this idea that you would sell something, but actually you had to repair something yeah or and it's also that he was also yep looking for it too it's like this yeah and it's guided it's so it's like wow like could this it's like magic you know like magic yeah yeah um and i feel like a lot of people don't experience that they don't know what it looks like when you have to put the ego aside for a second too exactly for a synchronicity to come out and like show you it takes you on it is really the thing is, I find that life is a journey. 
I really do. It could be your actual existence in this world. Any day is, is a journey because you just don't know what's going to happen. And if you're open to that, every day will be different, but you just have to be open to it. But if you're not open to it and you want to work, work in a place of ego, then you are going to repeat and life is going to get mundane and things are going to get stale. But if you're so open to it, because the universe, I mean, it's just like the planet. Everything is replenishable. We have abundance and yet we want to reap from it constantly. We don't even give the earth a chance to repair itself, but it, we have so much abundance, infinite oxygen, infinite, like everything has a cycle. It replenishes itself. It cleans itself out, but we don't give it a chance because we're so afraid of not having, but it's mm-hmm. like not having is not even real. Yeah. And just like how we're afraid that our lives will be stale. So we're doing, or we're going into this action mode of, I got to say yes to this. I got to, I got to have this job. I got to, I got to do this. I got to not, I can't not have, right. But if you put that aside and if you're tuning in, it's a whole, I mean, you could be happy with making a fraction of the money, you know, I, I don't know. I, I've it's, it's crazy. Like all of our stuff doesn't make us happy. You know, and it's like, we have this idea of, I need to make this X XX amount of money, but I don't see a difference between the people who don't and the people who do other than they have more crap and they're still also behaving the same way. Yeah. <laughs> you know but I, mean? I even see that in myself, you know, like I'll have really good months and mm-hmm. I think like that there's some sort of relief that I'm experiencing and then I'll have really bad months. And yet when I'm in a bad month, I'm more conscious. I don't get into patterns as much because I'm like, I need to be open to like bringing in opportunity, right? And so then all of a sudden I feel way more alive because I'm like broke. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, and I actually enjoy my, this sounds awful because I know like meeting your needs and like getting mm-hmm. shelter and food is like obviously important, but there's like this catch 22 where it's like, um, if I can be, putting into the world that I have everything I need and that I'm abundant, then like, it really does. I hate it because there's so much toxic ideas around this too, but it's also, there's like a fundamental truth in the seed. You know what I mean? Um, I have a hard time talking about manifestation because of, I experience it and I practice it, but I don't know how to, I just maybe don't know how to put it into words in a way that, won't get twisted or misinterpreted. Yeah, manifestation is a tough one because it's, it is an internal practice. It's your relationship with source and every person's relationship kind of looks different. So the way you, you manifest might not look like how someone else is manifesting. Hmm. You, you know, like I manifest when I'm in nature. <laughs> you know, I'm visualizing and then there are times when I have this active dialogue and I'm just like, well, I need this. And like, I, I'm having this thing, but everybody else, like some people write it down. Or some people need to do a ceremony. Some people have burned paper or like, you know, they do, there's so many ways of doing it, but it's really like, what does, how does it work for you? And the way that you follow your urges, like for me, I feel like there's an urge to do something. Like there's a recognition, there's an inner knowing. Like um, when I met my, the guy who took me on a psychedelic journey, first of all, I was very (laughs) anti-psychedelics. obviously being raised, you know, very conservative, like traditional. I was like, no, alcohol is my favorite drug. And that's it. <laughs> you know, it's not. 
So I was thinking like, I think I heard someone say this name and for what it's a very common Persian name too. So there was nothing special about the person's name, but I had an internal recognition with that name. Right. That specific person was unique to me. And I knew that because I, the moment I heard it, I was like, I know this, but I don't know what I know from it. There's meaning there. That's yeah. There's like an underlying meaningful connection. And it's very yeah. subtle. It's very, very subtle. It's not loud. It's not extreme. You know, it's not like rainbows and like, you know, glitter everywhere. It's just very subtle. It's just like, hmm, I know this person. And I kept hearing about him. And one day I talked about him as if I had met him, but I had never met him. I, there was no picture to the name, nothing. Hmm. And I said, oh, like Navi, like this person would do this. And they're like, the person who knew him looked at me and says, no, that's not really like, huh? I mean, no, that's not him, but interesting that you brought that up. And then a month later he goes, Hey, by the way, here's this guy's information. And I said, honestly, I, I'm not interested in the journey, but I would love to sit with him, maybe have a coffee or a tea. <laughs> it's like really weird. He's like, um, looked at me. He's like, maybe he would be open to that. I don't know. <laughs> Call, you know? And I thought about it. I thought about it. And then I said, I just felt it again. Like there's this, something is there for me. So I gave this person a call and I said, hi. And with the intention of just having a tea, I wanted to sit with him. And I, and I called and I said, yeah, um, a friend of mine gave me your permission. I really wanted to just like, you know, I don't really know why I'm calling you. And, but I just wanted to like, see if he could possibly like talk. And he's like, well, have you ever done a ceremony? I said, no. And he's like, are you interested? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and like there was this whole dialogue and then finally when he explained everything I said yes and he told me it's going to cost me about $1,400 and I remember being like not that abundant that time and going $1,400 for a ceremony but I said yes and it came out so casually out of my mouth <laughs> and then afterwards I was like maybe I should cancel like what was I thinking right yeah. Um, and then somehow it worked itself out. I went to this experience and he goes, do you have any, any intentions? I'm like, I don't have intentions. He's like, what are you here to learn? I was like, I don't know, <laughs> but I'm here. So, and then it became this exactly this profound experience and it was exactly what I needed. Hmm. Yeah. I want to talk. I want to, we should have like a, a separate one psychedelic Trade off podcast episode. Um, because I'm super interested. I, I have lots of similar stories, like where I was being pulled to do an ayahuasca ceremony, mm -hmm. and then and I had put the money in and, and I had said no for years, and then this one felt different. And then all like all the way up until like the day before, and they canceled. Um, and all of a sudden there was like, but I had learned all of these experiences to get there where I was like working in AA and working with my sponsor about, cause like I've had like with AA, it's like you buy all in and then it gets you sober and then it gets you to all these experiences. And then like, you have to just with anything, you redefine your relationship with it over and over and over again. And I had this experience where I had to like define my own relationship mm -hmm. to it, you know, and it yeah. pulled me out of being like um, unconsciously participating in something and then I, like I had to become conscious and so ayahuasca like came into my life to do this thing and I didn't even take it you know what I mean 
Very strange. It is really strange, but I think we should definitely have a conversation about that. Cool. I, I'm going to pee my pants right now. Yeah, so. I, I we can talk forever, but I, you know, it is one o'clock now and I have to go. Yeah, yeah, no, that's totally cool. It's been super, super fun. Yeah, it's been really fun.